from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the G and Ursula Show with G. Scott and Ursula Voitine. Good morning. Happy Thursday to all of you. Happy Leap Year Day. It is February 29th, and I'm Ursula Royteen along with Mike Lewis today. G. Scott is off today. Good morning. Good morning. In fact, I posted on our uh, show sheet some Leap Day traditions. Oh. I didn't even know I there were. I just, there I were just randomly looked it up, and it turns out there are some, all of them ridiculous. Okay, give me one. Um, apparently, it is... A the day that uh, and this dates back apparently the fifth century that that uh, if it is a it, a man woman uh, engagement that the woman is supposed to propose to the man. Oh. And this was born of men, as always, taking their time to make a proposal, and so this was the day. And I don't know why they get one day every four years, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but this is the day that that's supposed to happen. Uh, it is you know. That you bring that up, and a friend of mine got married on leap year. It's but that ah, but here's the thing: getting married on leap year is supposed to be bad luck and oh! lead to divorce. But they are still married, and they have a beautiful family. So uh, I can tell well, you that that's time. not the case. <laughs> okay. What do you think about a parent's Bill of Rights? So there is an idea that is getting a lot of support. We're going to talk about that coming up at 930. And then at 947, it is one of the most infuriating stunts that drivers pull on the roads these days. It's actually something that was brought up by one of our G and Ursula show listeners. And our traffic expert, Chris Sullivan, looked into it. And he's going to join us at 947 to talk about that. Right now, though, we invite you to join us on our Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line. 888-973-5476-888-973 Cairo. And now our top stories brought to you by Wayscar Ford Isuzu in Auburn. Okay, we're starting it off a little bit differently because I think we've got some good news to start off with, and that is that this bill that we've talked about, which would provide a wide range of protections for strip club dancers, is now on its way to the governor's desk. The so-called Stripper's Bill of Rights mandates security guards at clubs, coded keypads for dressing rooms, sexual harassment training for all employees, and specific procedures for violent customers. The strip clubs would also have to install panic buttons, which I'm surprised they don't have those already. And in addition to all these protections, Mike, uh, the bill allows strip clubs to apply for liquor licenses as either taverns or nightclubs as part of a repeal of a state-level restriction. This is, a, I think, a, a long overdue move. Uh, if you understand the way these clubs have operated in the past, uh, this additional scrutiny that's going to come along with the liquor board's engagement is good. I will say, though, that the oof, as a person with a with a liquor license here, I'm not. Please understand if you work for the Washington State Liquor Board how much I value your service. <laughs> Don't come knocking but, on but, your business. But um, but the liquor board itself, as an administrative agency. In Washington State, has a history of moving a little slowly on things. Although I will say, in the pandemic, it did not. And and this getting the 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 strip clubs to a place where they can serve booze is going to involve actually a lot of background checks on the owners. So you know, get ready for that. Get ready for some sort of new partner you may have to bring in who actually has a background that allows for a liquor license. Uh, secondarily, um, it is there literally can be remodeling issues regarding where the liquor is and how they have all kinds of regulations on this. So this is not going to happen immediately. 
the weird thing about it, the counterintuitive thing, is I think this is going to make the strip clubs safer, safer, less sleazy, actually much more sort of regular, function more like a regular bar than they do right now, which is uh, if you've ever been in one in Washington State, you probably no. you know don't go back often. <laughs> Quick correction on that. Matt was just uh, texting back and forth with me. He said there were some changes made in the Senate uh, approval bill. So that's going to go back to the House for reconciliation. Then we'll go to the governor's desk. Okay, so, so a little more Major tweaking. changes or minor changes? Or do we know? Uh, I don't know specifically. Okay. That's, yep. Oh, okay. So we're, maybe we shouldn't quite sell. Eh, actually, I think most of it is going to remain intact, it sounds like. Seems uh, yeah. And uh, the strippers are workers group. Uh, is they say basically they are in shock. They they sent out a statement. Say they said we could have never done it without every uh, organizer from their group, from their founders to those who had joined even in just the past few days. Uh, because th- this came up last year and it didn't go anywhere. Yes, I will say something about this time around. Okay, how many times have we talked about this? They did a. Good job. They're actually thanking journalists. They're actually thanking uh, labor organizers, attorneys, anti-traffic organizations, because this one, I think they did a really good job of educating the public and explaining why it wasn't going to be worse. And in fact, it would make it, as you said, uh, something that would be safer and I think significantly so. Yeah, exactly. And, so, I, and it's always been the argument, and anyone who has ever, like I said before yesterday, I am not an expert, although I will sound like one. Uh, anyone who's been in a, in a strip club in Washington State as opposed to a strip club in Portland, where it is actually all calls allowed and it's much more conventionally regulated, will tell you the radical differences between the two experiences. Kent's police chief is now sounding the alarm about growing crime in his city and the lack of police officers to fight it. Sometimes someone gets robbed and it's a two-hour wait, and we aren't going to be able to prevent that from happening all the time. Chief Rafael Padilla tells Cairo 7 TV they've hired 167 officers, which is all that their budget allows. The city now has a ratio of 1.2 officers per 1,000 residents. So that's about half the national average. He and Kent's mayor, Dana Ralph, were pushing state lawmakers to pass this bill to allow cities to impose a 0.3% sales tax without a public vote. Now, the mayor says that tax would have raised about $10 million for Kent and would have allowed them to hire at least 30 more officers. And she thinks Kent residents would have supported that hike. It's probably the number one concern that I hear from our residents is that public safety and everything that encompasses. The mayor and the police chief plan to try again for the funding next year. I don't understand why, if the public has such deep support for this in Kent, they couldn't just put it to a vote. I mean, that's the standard, right? So put it to a vote. And it, the, the the confusion. So I'm not sure exactly either. I mean, there were I a couple of that. different. There were a couple of different efforts to try to. One was to raise property taxes. This one is to raise sales tax. Right. And so the tax is already available uh, to counties to impose, but they have to get consent from the voters first. So. This legislation, if passed, would have allowed... I, it bypasses it. Yes, exactly. No, no, I understand that. But but I mean, if it has such support, why not just go... That's the, the whole reason for the conventional approach. Uh, is, I see. My Make dress. this an initiative. Yeah. I yeah, mean, like, yeah. like the, they have the tools to do this. I, I'm actually in find myself in agreement. If, the, if this was what the legislative pushback was, and there is a pathway for you to do this, 
then do it. Then, like, there's not a whole lot of voters in Kent who wouldn't want to be, hey, would you rather vote on whether or not to approve a tax or just have the city council pass it? What do you think voters in Kent are going to say? They're going to say, you know, I wouldn't mind a say in this, given that I'm the one paying the sales taxes in Kent. Correct. So why didn't they just go the conventional path that is available to them now? So let's ask the mayor that when she comes on to the G and Ursula show coming up at 10 o'clock. The other thing I want to ask her is because uh, when we talked to the mayor and the police chief, and this was like not even a year ago, uh, they were actually telling us that they had were able to fill their department with the, you know, all the officers. They took on a record 38 recruits in 2022. The city council has signed off on a pay raise for uh, many of those officers. The minimum salary is $105,000. They were giving in-state lateral transfers a $25,000 signing Which bonus. explains some of the drop in Seattle Police Department's Correct. number of officers because yes. people were moving there. I mean, this was... so. And then now that they were they were crowing about being fully staffed, exactly paying well, all of that stuff, and then and now we have no money. Ten months later, ten Correct. months later, so we have more questions. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so stay tuned for that interview coming up at ten o'clock. More potential trouble looming for Boeing. The Justice Department is now scrutinizing the midair blowout of that door plug on that Alaska Airlines flight, and it could result in a criminal prosecution. Bloomberg is reporting that this incident in January may have violated the DOJ's deferred prosecution agreement with the company over the two previous fatal crashes of its 737 MAX jetliner. A source telling Bloomberg that if prosecutors determine it is a breach of that agreement, Boeing could face criminal liability. So under the terms of that $2.5 billion settlement, Boeing had agreed to a compliance program that was designed to keep the company from deceiving regulators, including the FAA. And I want you to get into that here in a second. But if Boeing kept everything on the up and up for three years, that fraud charge, the potential fraud charge would be dismissed. Uh, But that Alaska Air mid-flight fiasco took place on January 5th which was just two days before the expiration of that deferred prosecution agreement. So, uh, as Chef pointed out before the show started, this is like them getting rolled up on a parole violation. Correct. Um, This is Boeing, again, uh, demonstrating its complete inability to process information (laughs) delivered by the government in a manner that actually gets down to the people who are working on an assembly line. I would say but two things. One, I'm actually... very much in favor of this. I do not think it's going to end up as a criminal. as a criminal prosecution. I think this is a lot of government saber rattling uh, to get Boeing to start paying attention. Uh, secondarily, I think that if the DOJ wants to take a hard look at Boeing, and I don't even know that the DOJ legally can do this, the DOJ needs to take a hard look at the FAA because the FAA was was part and parcel was complicit, like a cozy relationship. In the FAA literally deferred safety standards. Two Boeing engineers. I mean, this is not even argued. This was in the congressional hearings on the matter. Like the, the FAA did an abysmal job of oversight here, an abysmal job. And so Boeing deserves all of the blame. But I got to say, the DOJ maybe want to take a lower look, you know, and they don't even have to travel that far to see the FAA. They're right in, you know, three buildings down in D.C. So go ahead and take a look at the FAA as well, because they are complicit in this matter as well. And then there's one other thing. Yes. That we need to talk about. Yes. Briefly. 1997, when Boeing 
bought McDonnell Douglas. You want to talk about when this whole thing, yes. when the slow glide path toward lousy quality happened. Yeah. Boeing, when Boeing bought McDonnell Douglas, they installed. It was weird. I mean, the Boeing, the joke inside Boeing at the time was McDonald. Boeing bought McDonnell Douglas, and McDonnell Douglas took over because they put all the McDonnell Douglas uh, higher ups. In charge at Boeing, and what it changed, McDonnell Douglas had a culture that it was like profit-driven, shareholder value-driven, uh, money-driven, and Boeing's culture forever prior yes. to that was about engineers led the charge on everything. And you talk to any longtime engineer at Boeing, many of them now retired, yes. who were through that, they will tell you that one hundred percent of the time. time. So that's when it started. I mean, it's 1997 was was the beginning of the end for for Boeing being this widely respected company. It was a slow drip, but now we are right there in the puddle. Well, and uh, Boeing is paying the price and shareholders are paying the price. The company has lost 21 percent of its market value this year. The worst performance on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And that's just since the Alaska yeah, Air weirdly situation. enough, focusing on shareholder value sometimes means focusing on quality. Uh, exactly. <laughs> well, and one last, one last question for you, because they did a couple of shuffles. They got rid of shuffles. the... <laughs> <laughs> they got rid of the 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 head of the 737 Max program, yep. but and moved a, a few people around. Yep. Is that enough to bring about the culture change that's needed? No, but it was enough to maybe get the attention of Wall Street, which is again, it just shows that they're willing to do more of the same. This thing is going to have to be a massive overhaul. Look at the recent DOJ report. Any. Look it up. DOJ report on Boeing. Do that as your search terms and read some of that. It is galling. Like the DOJ spared no punches in this in or pulled no punches in this particular report. It is not the Boeing that everyone here grew up with and was proud of. Yeah. This is a different Boeing and it needs to change. And I know for one, and I know you're the same way as people who've lived here a long time. I'm rooting for Boeing. I'm rooting for Boeing to get back to. I think Boeing remains you're one of the two most important tech companies in Seattle. Yes. They're Boeing and Microsoft. That's it. Full stop. Those are the two most important companies here. More even, I would argue, than Amazon. Yes, I am rooting hard for Boeing. I'm a big fan of Boeing, but this yeah, they is a, get this act together. Yeah, they definitely do. So the city of Tacoma is now taking applications for a second round of universal basic income payments. The News Tribune is reporting this morning that single parents who make between 100 and 200 percent of the federal poverty level are eligible to apply for benefits. Uh, and this would be basically five hundred dollars a month. The maximum allowable income for a household of two would be about forty thousand dollars. Now, we've talked about it on the show before. Tacoma launched this grit program in 2021, served 110 households, most of them were single moms making about $25,000 a year. So in this round, 175 families will be selected. There are very specific zip codes that you would have to be living in. Uh, And money for this program comes from the United Way, which tells the Tribune that more than one in four households in Pierce County struggle just to meet basic needs. What are your thoughts? So before people get unhappy about this whole idea of money for nothing, uh, which is what they're going to see universal basic income as, and, and, and very technically, they're correct. It is. It's not tied to, you know, it's, it's tied to your eligibility. It's not tied to anything else. You just get this every month. Every single big 
experiment in the United States, most recently in Stockton, California in 2017, has shown that it is enormously effective. Not that effective at just getting people money and they spend a little bit more money and so the local stores make a little extra bread. No, it's actually showing that the people who get this money, they get that sort of pressure valve release. They end up being more likely to be employed for longer periods of time. They end up like spending the money on bills and necessities and not, you know, what is the whole argument like going out and buying iPhones or some some garbage like that. Universal base, basic income, where it has done. Now, this experiments have been relatively small and yes. anyone who criticizes them for being too small to draw national conclusions. I think that's true. I think we need to expand the experiments, but it, there has not been one that has been, at that's least it. they've been inconclusive. Right. At best, they've shown radical change. Yes. I'm a big fan of Tacoma doing this. Uh, the thing that Tacoma needs to do is tell us what were the results of the first one because they haven't released the results of that yet. And again, the more you educate people, because I'm one of those that is a, a skeptic, like why would you just be throwing money? But the more I read about it and the, like you said, the studies have shown and it's not just uh, blue cities, quote unquote, but uh, there are pilot programs that are in places like Columbia, South Carolina, yep. Birmingham, Alabama, Gainesville, Florida, and every single one of them, again, limited studies, but have shown that have shown this actually has, uh, they reduce the unemployment and, and to your point about Tacoma releasing data prior to at, prior to doing another distribution, I think that's a very good point, and I think that it's a it's an it's a matter of faith in your voters right. uh, to tell them like, hey, here's what happened last time, and even if it didn't work perfectly, exactly. here's what happened last time. Here's how we're tweaking it. We're going to try it again, and we're going to let you know what happens the second time we go through it. Yeah, and the question would be, would you rather pay what seventy six hundred dollars directly to a, a, one of your neighbors, or would you rather pay what you know twenty five thirty thousand dollars to the government? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Still ahead, we're going to talk about a parent's bill of rights and why you should care about that. This is the Gia Ursula Show. The G and Ursula show. G is out today. Mike Lewis is in. And as always, we want to make sure that you are aware of what is going on uh, in Olympia and also what is going on around here if it's going to affect your life. And our reporter, Kate Stone, is here to talk about something that will involve schools. Yeah, it's a parental rights initiative. So we were just talking about it before. You, you sort of mentioned excuse me, Parents' Bill, Bill of, of Rights. Rights yes. Yeah, it's uh, it's sort of along those lines. Um, it's That's not exactly how it's being marketed necessarily okay. by the, the group, but it's essentially outlining parents' rights when it comes to their students' school records. And there are quite a few stipulations in there that are essentially saying parents should have the right to view their students' school records, get a copy of it within, I believe it's 10 days. Uh, and there, there's other things as well, essentially that they should be informed anytime their child receives any type of non-medical treatment, that they should be able to view classroom materials. Um, there's, there's 
there's like 18 or 19 different things in this initiative. And, and who it, is pushing this? It's actually the conservative activist group Let's Go Washington, which you may have heard of because they are pushing five other initiatives, uh, including some repeals of some taxes, uh, a ban police on pursuit. state income tax, police pursuit, exactly, that we've been discussing. And the hearings for the parental rights and police pursuit were actually yesterday. <coughs> Sorry. And... Essentially, uh, uh, numerous parents, in fact, the, the testimony was heavily in favor of establishing this. Numerous parents came forth saying that this is you know, necessary. Uh, one in particular told lawmakers, I speak to you as the mother of a child who had a plan for suicide down on paper. Her counselor, her teacher, her administrator, neither, none of them told her father or I she intended to kill herself. And so parents like her are saying, you know, we need... We need a better transparency, more communication why with is that, schools. Why is that not already having like what law is on the books or what is preventing that kind of information? Because honestly, everything that you've told me as a parent, I would want to know. Well, there is actually like 90 percent of this is already state and federal law. It's just the timelines are more are, are longer. So the federal law includes about 45 days uh, for parents to receive this type of information and, and, and whatnot. So as as uh, some of the lawmakers mentioned, Lisa Wellman uh, mentioned, probably 90 percent of the rights included in this initiative are already current law, but they're spread throughout many statutes and federal laws. So she referred to this more as a tool and more of a a way to streamline what parents can and cannot get access to. But a lot of this stems out of the, the movement that parents have to, as they put it, keep politics out of the classroom, but essentially know what their children are being taught in schools and particularly regarding sex education and gender and those types of things. And that's that's a nationwide movement, but it's also gained steam in Washington as well. So is there anything in this that would somehow settle? Because not every parent is going to feel the same way, right? I mean, there's right. going to be a group of parents who are going to feel one way and a group of parents. I mean, if there's 10 parents, there's probably 15 opinions, right? And so, right. And so does it reconcile... Who's <laughs> who's which parents get the rights and which parents don't? No, and and essentially all parents would get these rights unless a court order specifically denied them that. That would be in cases of suspected abuse or something like that, that parents would not have access to school records. They also wouldn't be notified if police were talking to their child if it was the parent who was suspected of abuse. All other times, if this initiative passes, uh, parents would be informed of things like that. And again, a lot of this is, you know, codified in, in the current statutes, but it can be very confusing, especially if, if you're an individual school district or not a well-funded one to understand, you know, all of these different laws and statutes, federal, state, et cetera, and try to comb through that when, for example, you have a student in crisis, in mental health crisis or some other type yes. of crisis, yes. trying to be like, should I tell the parents? Don't I tell the parents? What do I do? I have to look up this law. You know, it's very confusing. So this is meant to sort of cut through a lot of that red tape. The concern on the other side is from advocates of, you know, LGBTQIA students, students that are struggling with unstable homes, with homelessness, saying school is a resource for these kids. And we are worried that if if the 
if the barriers of protection come down at a school, that students will not reach out to that as a, as a resource or for help. And that was some of the testimony they heard. What was interesting, though, is nobody came out strongly opposed to this. There were just, especially from the Tacoma Public Schools Board and the State School Board of Directors, essentially saying, we support this in theory, but there's some concern over the logistics. So my seems, question yeah. would be, I would say, just address then on a, a, a as-needed basis those particular concerns uh, when it comes to uh, you know particularly vulnerable populations. Right. But again, I, I, as a parent, would say, yeah, I, I would want to have this information. I would want to know this information as soon as possible. I want, would want to have access to that information. And that's the general consensus. The concern, again, from like the Washington State School Directors Association was essentially saying, if we have a student in crisis, let's say, you know, someone who, a student who is actively in a mental health crisis in school, this initiative is very vague. It just says we have to notify the parents before taking any action. If it is an emergency mental health crisis situation, can we take action before notifying parents? And the initiative doesn't really clarify that. And so essentially what they were telling lawmakers is, look, again, we're fine with this in in theory because transparency and communication is important. No one's arguing against that, but they are saying we need a little more direction on how exactly to implement this safely for students. I have a question about uh, the ability for parents to view classroom materials and curriculum because from a teaching perspective, right, you prepare your curriculum every single day. It changes, it updates. It is a lot of material. True. So if I am a teacher and I have a parent who is particularly concerned uh, with what is being taught in the classroom every day, at what point am I being treated like an overburdened public records, uh, you know, official in a local government who's constantly being harassed by a parent to say, show me all your curriculum. I want to see all your slides. Like a lot of this stuff isn't even in a media that could be transmitted to a parent easily. Correct. And it, it, again, the, there's a lot of vagueness surrounding that. And you're right. Teachers often don't have those materials, you know, ready to go or, you know, as students like are going to be copying out the textbook every day for a parent right. who, who wants to see what's happening. And as students are learning at different paces, sometimes you have to speed up, slow down, change the lesson plan in some way. And so, yes, if if the lens is going to be completely transparent on the school materials, does that create challenges, you know, that the teachers, they're already overburdened, won't be able to handle? And again, this is an initiative. Correct. And the state lawmakers holding this hearing are, are holding it basically like window dressing. They can choose to pass it right now. No changes. They can propose their own version of this that would end up on the ballot alongside this initiative, or they can reject it, in which case the initiative itself would just go to the November ballot, but it's going to the ballot either way unless lawmakers pass it right now as it is. Ah, Kate Stone, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, still ahead, we've got Sully joining us because one of our G and Ursula show listeners brought up this thing that infuriates so many people on the roads today, and uh, we're going to talk about that coming up next. This is the G and Ursula show.
is the G and Ursula show. G is out today. Mike Lewis is in. And we have our very first choke point inspired by a G and Ursula show listener. And Chris Sullivan is here to tell us what exactly got this person so worked up. This is Dave Manning, G and Ursula fan. Uh, sent it out to your show page. And he not only gave an idea of, of what he was seeing, but also he sent me a, along a TikTok video <laughs> of someone promoting this ridiculously dangerous and illegal move. Uh, and so what it is, I need to kind of do a little imagining here. If you're driving, don't close your eyes to imagine. Just kind of think about it. But uh, you're approaching an intersection, multi-lane, multi-lane road, okay? So imagine, uh, we'll just say like a big one, like Aurora, where you have two lanes in each direction, and then eventually you come up to each intersection and there's a left turn signal, left turn signal. Uh, and so what he has noticed a lot of places in Pierce County is people will get into that left-hand turn lane, bypass all the cars waiting to go straight, and then time the light at the signal for turning left to just veer back into the right and bypass all of the traffic that's standing still. And this TikToker put that up there as, hey, it's the movie. Like, it's just the stupidest, most dangerous thing I've ever seen promoted as as an offensive driving tip number 271. Uh, I know he thinks he's funny, but this is 100% illegal. It's incredibly dangerous, and I'm sure it inspires road rage. But this is something that Dave has seen a bunch in his neighborhood. And when I did the story this morning, a bunch of people reported seeing this all over the place. It's something that I've never experienced. I've experienced something like it, which I'll get to in a moment. But, yeah, I've never seen this. Mike, how about you? So it's funny because earlier I didn't quite under- understand the description when I was talking to Chef about this. But the way, you know, want to know where this happens every single day that I actually have where? seen it a lot? If you're going... East on Nickerson and crossing uh, right where the Fremont Bridge is, the okay, intersection yeah. right there, and you're going straight. That tends to be a fairly significant backup. What happens is people, and there's two left turn lanes to go Correct. into Fremont. What happens is in the far, in the middle lane, people will do that exact same thing because it's so poorly constructed. It's constructed for the way traffic patterns used to be, Correct. the way they are not now. It's that, it's that far right lane is the only one that goes straight, but that's the bulk of people every morning. And so that backup goes four blocks back in one lane. The other lanes are relatively clear because no one's making the left turn into Fremont across the bridge. And so it every single time, people will wait in that turn lane and then zip in front of the entire line of people. That is, uh, it's, I'd never seen that. And I had never even considered that when I'd done a choke point story on what the left turn rules are in the state of Washington. Because what I see a lot up in suburbia, uh, we get some of those big intersections where the left turn lane, you know, there may be one or two people trying to, to make that left turn at the signal, but there's a line of 50 cars. And so they right. get into what is the dual left turn lane, the one that allows you to take free lefts right. all the time. And they drive in that for like a half mile just to get into the left hand, <laughs> right. uh, just to take the signal. And that is also illegal. Right. Under the state of Washington rules, you're only allowed 300 feet in a left turn lane. Without turning, so you and and also specifically that lane is not to be used for passing. It's spelled out in the law. It's spelled <laughs> out in the driver's manual, which I have at my desk, and I can't. I just don't understand why people 
are so selfish behind the wheel. I know it's nothing <laughs> new, but that's our biggest problem. We're all a bunch of selfish, you know what? Not all, not all. Well, but there are some, yeah. yeah. And but, I will consider myself among them some, but there's some things I will not do, like stupid and dangerous jerk moves like this. Yeah. So, yeah, let's not, let's not, uh, we're, we don't encourage this. No. Uh, but hey, here, here's my question for all of you with a little bit of time we have left. In the grand scheme of things, where does this one fall in terms of things that annoy you on the road? Like, what is number one on your list? Left lane camping without a question. <laughs> Left lane camping <laughs> is number one. You the mean bane on like of a freeway, all existence. Freeway, for example, Correct. Right, yeah. The bane of all existence. And it causes so much road yeah. rage. It's so much dangerous passing in the right lane. Even, oh my gosh, you guys love this. Last Friday, I'm driving to work, four in the morning. Fridays are usually light. There is a line of 10 cars in a pack in the left-hand lane driving from shoreline down into Northgate while the right lane and the middle lane is wide open and they're going like 63 (laughs) and I just pass them all at 65 or 70 in the right. I'm like, what? what is our fascination and obsession with getting all the way over to the left and then just sitting there for no reason? That's number one. Okay, what about your number one? I'm just having an experience of riding in the car with Chris. Um, I know, I know. I've controlled myself. So mine mine is a little bit weirder and more subtle and it's not even necessarily something illegal. What I get frustrated about is when you're in an intersection, especially at an intersection that is typically backed up and has a lot of cars at the intersection and you just want to get through the intersection because that means because that and the people who leave that I don't know nine car gap when someone makes a left turn and then you like see nothing nothing happening nothing and then finally that person like decides to and then finally the person like why not just if you're that going is illegal, three Mike. miles an hour just follow that person through the intersection that is illegal when you've got the arrow you know why why because I guarantee you that person is on their phone no doubt. not no paying attention and by the way the distracted driving rule applies to sitting at intersections at red yes, lights it does it cannot be in your hand oh that's another one. Oh, oh my, good my one. biggest frustration are those drivers who think that it's a, a speed track they, they dart in and out just had one yesterday i almost got into a collision and then there's always that driver who decides to follow them as right. if they're going to catch up to them. Right. As if they're clear, the, as if they're a lead blocker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're drafting, <laughs> exactly. Ursula. We're drafting them. What yeah. right? It's, it's exactly. right if you're not rubbing, you're, ra- you're not racing, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Please okay, don't be a us. jerk behind the wheel. Yes. Text us with your biggest grievances on the road. You can. We'll, we'll help you. We'll be your free therapy. Text us on the Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line, 888-973-5476, triple... 8973 Cairo. Sully, thank you so much. A lot of people agreeing with you on that whole left lane campaign. I know. The blood is boiling. We're here to help. It's cathartic. Let it out, people. Let it out. <laughs> Just not at other drivers. And not in the car. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Coming up on What's New at 10, we are going to have the mayor of Kent joining us live on the G and Ursula Show.